revolution. Here's your host, Amy Simpkins. Hello and welcome to the very first inaugural episode of the Power Flow podcast. I'm your host, Amy Simpkins, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here with you today. This podcast is the manifestation of a figment of an idea, and that idea persisted. It wouldn't let me go. It kept coming up in different ways and different opportunities. It felt like a calling, a passion project, and here we are today to talk about all things energy, the new energy economy, the all-electric future, sustainability, resilience, equity, all of these topics that are near and dear to my heart, for sure, but also so important for our world. And I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for choosing to be part of this conversation. I don't take your time lightly, and I really want you to get a ton out of joining us in this podcast. I want you to learn some new things. I want you to be able to be introduced to some experts, to learn some names you haven't had the opportunity to learn in the past, and um, to have fun and laugh with us, and to feel like you can really have an impact, like we can really change the world together. Um, through collaboration. So let me tell you about this uh, This first episode. This first episode I anticipate as being a little bit different than the rest of the show. I'd really like to tell you about what to expect on um, the kind of the rest of the uh, episodes of the show on what normal episodes will be like, not necessarily this first one. And I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, you know, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? <laughs> why Why this podcast? Why these conversations? And to tell you kind of how I see the world, you know, what are the challenges that I see and what are the solutions that we should be working toward together? And that's really, you know, this podcast, these conversations are part of those solutions. So spoiler alert, bottom line up front, um, you know, these close conversations, these intersectional thoughts, and um, the willingness to collaborate across domain-specific lines and across um, topic lines, those are the keys. Those are the keys to changing the world. So we'll come back around to that. So first, let me tell you what to expect with the podcast here. So the Powerful Podcast is going to be released in weekly episodes. We'll publish on Tuesdays, although you'll obviously be able to find various links and announcements about episodes um, throughout the episode week. And you're going to be able to subscribe on where whatever podcast platform that you prefer to listen to. We are going to host conversations with energy experts. And those energy experts are going to tell you three main things. They're going to tell you about their expertise. So you get to learn about who they are, what they do, what's important to them, the awesome, exciting, cutting edge stuff that they're working on. And you get to learn all about these new domains. Um, and then I'm going to ask them what they feel 
are the biggest challenges to to constructing this new energy economy, to realizing the dream of the all-electric future, an all-electric future that supports humanity and supports human equity, but also protects our planet. What are the biggest challenges along those lines? We'll talk about that. And then I want to ask them, what are the solutions to those challenges? And I think when we get into those solutions, I want to have a variety of different conversations about very strategic, big picture, movement level solutions that may sound hard to implement and glacially moving. But then I also want to have conversations that are very tactical, like what are first steps we can take? How do we get there from here? And I think I might ask my guests the both of those questions, depending on who they are. But, you know, I think we want to talk to a variety of different people and everyone has their innate gifts. Some people definitely think at that broader, more big picture, more strategic level. And some people are more gifted at thinking tactically, thinking practically, how do we get there from where we are right now? What's the first step? Even if we can't see steps 10 through 17, how do we take step one? And so those that's the framework. I mean, you have it right there it's very it's a very simple structure those are the questions i want to ask and we're definitely going to go down rabbit holes we're going to let the conversation guide us to different areas that maybe super inside our own expertise or the you know the expertise of the of the guest and other times we might uh push the envelope and and make form conjectures and dream a little bit. And I think, I think all of that is really important to framing a conversation that is actionable and impactful for the world. And that's really the ultimate objective here at the podcast, of course, is to, is to start these conversations and facilitate conversations that dream a new dream and that dream a new dream in the context of collaboration, understanding that no one person has all the answers to the energy crises that are facing our world right now, but instead um, having this the power of collaboration to solve this together and to tap many people's zones of genius, many people's areas of expertise and um, to come together maybe in new ways. So so that's the overall objective. And I'm going to come back around to that because I'm going to, in this episode, in this inaugural episode, I'm really going to give it to you from my perspective. And I'm actually going to interview myself, if that's possible, and um, to ask myself those questions. And so I'm going to come back around to that idea of collaborative innovation because that's really that's really something that's really important to me and it really drives me um, just in general, not just like in this podcast environment. So 
with that, oh, let me tell you one more thing, actually, about what you can expect on the podcast. And that's possibly the biggest piece is that these energy experts that we're going to be highlighting that you're going to be meeting as you listen to episode after episode of the Power Flow podcast, they may not look or sound like the experts that you're used to in the energy industry. Um, you know, I've worked in engineering for my entire career and I've worked in energy for about five years now. And let me tell you the voices that I hear at the conferences, on the podcasts, on the media interviews, they, they tend to be all the same demographic or or very, very similar. Obviously, nothing nothing is extreme. We won't be hyperbolic here. Nothing is across the board. But the vast, vast majority of expert voices that I see out there and that I have heard from are the same kind of demographic. And that would be cisgender, able-bodied, white men. And I love those guys. Um, I work with them. They're my business partners. They're my colleagues. They're my clients. So I get it. Like, you're wonderful guys. Uh, it's perfect. But you've had the stage. And there's plenty of stages that are for you and that that um, that you've been able to kind of dominate over. And even, even among that similar demographic, I, I tend to hear a lot of the... S- not just the same types of voices, but actually the same voices that like, um, you know, the same people showing up to tell the same story and, and spread the same messages. And there's more than that, right? The way that we innovate, the way that we move forward is not just diversity for the sake of diversity, but it's it's a diversity of conversation and experience and we bring the vast, the vast experience um, and knowledge and inspiration from all different kinds of people together. And we need buy-in from all corners of the community and we need to have buy-in and not just buy-in, but also, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, support champion championing of ideas and changes and causes from all sorts of different kinds of people, all sorts of different kinds of communities. And because of that, I want to highlight experts who do not fit in your typical demographic that you might hear out there. And so we're going to welcome women. We're going to welcome gender minorities. We're going to welcome disabled folks. We're going to welcome racial minorities, indigenous folks, and people of color and black professionals, and just lots of different people from different walks of life with different experiences. And also more importantly, maybe most importantly, different approaches to problem solving. Different ways of thinking about how the world comes together, different philosophies. Because those different perspectives 
are where the magic happens. When we can bring different perspectives together and see them all as facets of the same diamond to solve a holistic problem in a holistic manner. That is where the magic happens. I keep getting ahead of myself because I keep getting on this soapbox, which is my favorite soapbox. And I promise I will get there about about the why, about the solutions, but I'm so passionate about it. I'm so passionate about um, getting back to the basics of innovation, especially in this crazy industry we're in. And I'm so passionate about the need for collaboration on that innovative path. And that's, you're going to hear me say it just over and over like a broken record because that is, it's so important to me down to my core. And I believe that those are the keys. Those are the keys to moving us forward in this industry. So with that, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, And what I would do for a, a guest that I was going to interview, and you're going to see this on the upcoming episodes, is I would read you their professional bio. So I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to read you my bio. But I, when I practiced this, I did this in the third person and it sounded super weird. So I'm going to give it to you in first person. Here you go. As CEO at MuGrid Analytics, I solve wicked problems at the intersection of energy technology and economics using math and modeling. MuGrid, which is my company, provides bankable techno-economic analysis, optimized control, and project development of renewable energy, energy storage, and microgrids to maximize economic return, increase energy resilience, and promote energy equity in the U.S. and around the world. I am also an internationally recognized speaker on iterative development and innovation for entrepreneurs. I am the author of the book Spiral, a catalyst for innovation and expansion. I have coached and consulted on business and product development, innovation theory and practice, and sales for startups and small businesses. Prior to working here at MuGrid and founding, co-founding MuGrid, I designed and operated spacecraft as a systems engineer with Lockheed Martin. My technical expertise includes system and software architecture, system level performance modeling, and design trade space analysis. I hold a master's of science in astronautical engineering from the University of Southern California and a bachelor of science in aeronautics and astronautics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I am a messy chef a world traveler, a taekwondo green belt, a vocal music minor, a mom to three curious innovators, and a tough cookie in the Colorado backcountry. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy Simpkins. Yes, round of applause. Golf claps. No, um, that's. I love reading bios. Uh, it's one of my favorite things, actually. I love well, I love, I love celebrating people. I love celebrating expertise and like nothing is exciting as like reading what someone is good at. And I guess I've never done that for myself. I have often told uh, my business partner at MuGrid, who also actually happens to be my husband, that I absolutely love reading his professional bio. I had the opportunity to introduce him at a professional conference for energy. And I read his bio out loud and I was like, 
it just like who would who wouldn't be so proud of you when you like read all that stuff that you've done and um honestly reading my bio makes me pretty proud of the stuff that I've done as well so you know that's the formal bio that's the formal you know in a nutshell where I've come from but you know what's my expertise and why am I here right why and why this podcast um so as you heard, I started off in aerospace and uh, working in spacecraft design. And the connection isn't as far off as you think. You know, spacecraft are basically microgrids in the sky. They have to generate their own power and store their own power and condition and distribute their own power. Um, and they are criti- mission-critical systems. They have to be highly, highly reliable. You can't just send out a tech with a wrench when you've got a spacecraft uh, power system. So um, that is that, you know, there's a connection there and there's a lot of similarities that I have found between um, spacecraft engineering and microgrid engineering. And so, you know, at that very practical level, they're, they're definitely similar and obviously, you know, there's a lot of energy technology that has its origins in space. So, you know, solar panels and then, you know, compact and advanced chemistry systems, nickel metal hydride, you know, had was a very popular choice in uh, battery systems. And actually, you know, hydrogen fuel cells were also developed around uh, the space program, you know, hydrogen fuel cells were used on the Apollo spacecraft uh, for power and then also water, um, part of the water system for the astronauts. And it was really funny. One of the first projects I did after coming into energy was uh, a survey of fuel cell technologies. And I was looking at a schematic of the system and I was, I was really, really confused. And I said to my colleague, I think there's something wrong with this. And he was like, oh, oh yeah, what is that? And I said, well, there's no, there's no oxygen tank. Where does the oxygen come from? And he was like, Amy, they're on earth. The oxygen is around them. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, uh, there is a difference between working on earth-based systems and spacecraft systems. But really, you know, the type of system that I work on isn't my expertise. And that's why I think it was so easy for me to, to change industries, because really what I'm bringing is a mindset. My area of expertise, my zone of genius is architectural mindset. It's keeping that big picture vision, the big picture vision that's, you know, very, very strategic, like we talked about earlier. And it's thinking about the stakeholder needs, which sometimes are quantitative, like we need this much of this thing, and it has a number that we can calculate. But often the stakeholder needs are qualitative. You can't put a number around them. And oftentimes it's it's really hard to articulate what the stakeholder needs are. And so not only is there not a number, but there's not a clear definition of what the needs are. And that's as true in, um, you know, spacecraft acquisition as it is in um, microgrid project development, is that everyone kind of has a, as much as we'd like to think that user needs are standardized, every, every microgrid is different. I still, to this day, it was several years ago now that we heard... Um, Peter Asmus at, you know, the 
the outfit formerly known as Navigant, although maybe his div- division is still Navigant, I forget. Um, he said, when you've seen one microgrid, you've seen one microgrid. And so there still is a lot of, you know, uh, customization. And that's not just with the microgrid technology, because obviously we've we've come a, a long ways with both generation technology and and storage is coming along in terms of standardization and wanting to be up to code, have codes in place and regulations in place and things like that. But it's not just about the equipment, of course, it's about the users as well. And like, that's, that's another thing that I bring as a, as a system architect, as an architectural thinker is the fusion of not just the cold, hard math of the data and the technical performance of the system, but fusing that together with the human element, the organic element of the user needs, the stakeholder needs, and not just that, but the, the fears, you know, risk management, not only from a quantitative perspective, but also from just an emotional, social and emotional perspective of the client of, you know, what are our fears about this system? What are our fears about this investment? What are we excited about? Um, And how do we connect those? How do we connect these parts? And how do we connect those emotional, those emotional constructs back to the technology? And as I get further and further into the power of the microgrid and the the capability of the microgrid, not just to, um, you know, deliver electrons at some very visceral level, but to support these bigger concepts like sustainability and community resilience, those issues start to get really fast into emotion um, and psychology. In fact, I was talking to a group that does um, specializes in community resilience. And the, the organization was founded by a PhD psychologist. And what they were talking about supporting community resilience, they were talking about psychological resilience. They were talking about feelings of safety and um, supporting that inside the community. And when I talk about resilience and I, and my, my community, my colleagues talk about resilience, we're more talking about cold, hard facts. Do the lights stay on or don't they? Do you have communications or don't you? And the fact is, is those two things are not mutually, they're certainly not mutually exclusive. In fact, they want the one leads to the other. They're deeply, deeply connected there. They should never be stovepiped. You should never stovepipe the technology that's providing the electrons and forget that that power capability is serving the needs of a community, the social, emotional, safety needs of a community, psychological needs of a community. 
You can't separate those two things. And so that's sort of, that's part of my zone of genius is drawing those connections, drawing those things together. Um, and there's, you know, there's more cold, hard math in there. There's more data in there. There's more science in there, but really it's about keeping those things connected, right? So another area that is kind of in my zone of genius, certainly in my zone of pleasure, where I have a whole lot of fun, is talking about innovation and talking about innovation theory. And so that sort of brings us to um, some of the challenges that I see with moving forward into the new energy economy and the all-electric future. So, but before we go there, we're going to take a quick dance break. And I will be right back to talk about challenges and solutions and how I see it from my chair. And we're back. We're talking now about uh, the challenges that I see from my chair to the all-electric future to the new energy economy. And first, maybe we should define those things, right? And uh, so if you're new here, if you're new kind of to the energy industry, I think you'll find really fast that both of those phrases are kind of buzzwords around the industry. Um, New energy economy and all-electric future. No one can deny that uh, the energy industry is changing. And I think it's a really interesting and unique case study. I can't think of another industry that's been completely revolutionized quite this way. Although, you know, I will say that there are certain other industries out there that could probably use this kind of overhaul. But, you know, the energy industry has existed now um, for, you know, for the entire period of the Industrial Revolution. You know, we're going on somewhere around 150 years of the energy industry existing. And for the most part, it's it it moved along. And certainly there's been some incremental innovation there along the way. But for the most part, it operates the same way that it did. Um, And it as it did start out as a series of distributed mini grids or microgrids but as 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 the country became connected and by the country I'm talking about the United States although certainly similar things have happened all, all around the world um you know as grids became connected we started to move into this centralized power generation architecture where for the most part you know power generation which is based on fossil fuel coal oil and um, in more recent times, natural gas was located at very large plants and most of the time far away from where it was being consumed. And then a, a infrastructure set of um, miles and miles and miles of high voltage power lines um, to move that power to move those electrons from these central locations to where it needed to be. And this has served us for a very long time. And we as a culture have evolved to where most normal people don't even know where their power comes from. They don't know what the power source, what the fuel sources are. They don't know where their power plant is for the most part with, with some notable exceptions. And pretty much what they know is that when they flip the light switch, the light comes on. And if it doesn't, you're allowed to get angry about it. (laughs) And that's what they know. I mean, it's, it's always shocking to me, you know, when looking at the economics of energy systems, how many people 
both at the residential level and at the commercial level, don't really understand how they pay for power or why. Um, In fact, a lot of people view the way they pay for power as punitive, that, you know, extra charges, particularly demand charges or time of use tariffs, are punitive that they're that it's somehow about the utility company being out to get them. And so this is where we've evolved to. This is the current status quo. And so when we talk about the new energy economy, we're talking, of course, about wanting to get away from fossil fuels. And that, that of course, touches on all electric future. That if you can use electricity for everything, even things you've traditionally used fossil fuels for, including heating and cooking and, and all of those sorts of things, um, that uh, you, we will get to this all-electric future, which is more sustainable because you can use more renewables of various sources. And, you know, um, that sort of is dismissive of some other sources of heat, like geothermal, I don't think, um, and, and solar thermal. I don't think we necessarily mean to be dismissive of that, but it is a buzzword around the industry. Um, but of course, so this new energy economy is definitely, you know, focused on trying to get off of fossil fuels, more renewables. But there's other pieces to it as well. You know, there's this piece of moving from more centralized architectures to distributed architectures. And then there's, you know, this whole idea, I'm going to give you another industry buzzword here. We're all about that today. This is your learning, is learning all the industry buzzwords. Um, The word prosumer. Um, pros, so instead of just being a consumer who just consumes, um, electricity, energy, um, heat energy, that these new, you know, renewables generation forms are giving people the opportunity to produce their own electricity and also consume it. And so either to produce parts of their consumption or to produce the whole thing. And so this new word prosumer um, is part of that too. And and that fact, which is, you know, more or less an extreme case of the distributed energy case, um, is part of this new energy economy. How do we do this? And so what you're talking about is like some seriously disruptive innovation in an industry that hasn't even experienced much in the way of incremental innovation in decades. And how does that work? I don't know. Those are the those are the questions that we're out to answer here. Those are the questions we're out to start to have conversations around and solve is how do we go about this? You know, there's there's some argument out there for tearing out the whole thing and starting over from scratch. Now, I don't I don't think there's any way to do that in a way that's either comfortable <laughs> or affordable, but it certainly, it would be one approach, you know, so understanding that we're probably not going to be able to rip everything out by the roots and then, you know, rebuild it to our collective liking. If a collective liking even exists, come on, let's be honest, we're going to argue about this for decades. Um, just not feasible probably. And so then how do we move in this direction? How do we do it? How, you know, Who's in charge? Is there is is there some overarching plan? Is there a way to have an overarching plan, um, or is there um, 
is there no plan? Is it market driven? Do we let capitalism take care of it? Do we, and how, if, if yes, if it's the market, how do we set up market conditions, um, to, to route that path? You know, it's like, it's like the Colorado river river carving the grand Canyon. Like there's a certain amount of meandering it's going to do if it's uncontrolled and like, can we shape it? Can we guide it so that it's at least a little bit more efficient? So this is the challenge, right? This is the major challenge that I see in coming as kind of an innovation theory nerd. Um, if, if you ever read my book, Spiral, um, I talk about um, three sort of phases of innovation. And I, I took these three phases, uh, I learned about them from a, an innovation expert, Roger L. Martin. And um, he he wrote some really great stuff about these sort of three phases of innovation. As you progress with a technology, you start out in a phase called mystery. And mystery is where there's there's tons of different possibilities. There's, you know, everything, no idea is a bad idea. You know, lots of different small entities are coming up with little ideas and growing them. And there's a lot of chaos. And then as a technology or an industry moves forward, you move out of slowly, you come out of this mystery phase because you start to see patterns and you start to get develop rules of thumb. Oh, I've seen that before and this is how it went. And so even though there's, there might still be a lot of customization and there might be a lot of uniqueness, there's also some pattern matching that that's happening. And that stage is called the heuristic stage because, you know, you're using you're starting to develop these heuristics, these rules of thumb around these patterns that you see emerging. And so it's a little more standardized, but it's not fully standardized yet. And um, you start to, that's when you can start to think about, okay, what should the regulations be? What should the code look like? You know, how do we make this so that it's interoperable? How do we make this so it's interconnectable? And so that we start to develop a larger pattern to make sure that the future is achievable and we're going to do this in a slightly more efficient way than we did when it was mystery and all was chaos, right? So there's an a increased efficiency. And so then as this technology or as this um, industry moves forward again in time in like innovation maturity, then you move into a phase called algorithm. And algorithm means um, everything is standardized, processized, you could write it as computer code, as an algorithm, you could code it, you could, you don't have to think about it, highly, highly efficient. And now at this point in a technology, you're driving costs down too, because it's, it's repeatable. And now you can talk about quality control. And um, now there's really standards in place. And so the reason I talk about this and the reason I talk about these different phases is that I see the energy industry has for decades been in the algorithm stage of its development, that we know how the code is, we're highly, highly stable, highly reliable, highly efficient, and we have our regulations in place and we basically know what we're doing. And the problem is, is that algorithm was written with no consideration that it was poisoning the earth. But 
it did its, its it did its job. It did a good enough job for those years that no one seemed willing to muck with it very much. And now what we're doing is we're taking this entire industry and we're saying, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Let's go back to the mystery phase. And we are dropping almost all the way back. Now, if we if we were to rip it out by its roots, we would be going all the way back. So we're we're almost doing what we're we're doing is almost even more challenging than just going back to mystery phase. We're trying to keep it in algorithm on the one hand and make some sort of gentle transition <laughs> back to mystery. Or we're taking some new some serious pieces of technology in the mystery phase and try to get them to heuristic enough so that we can then take the entire industry from algorithm to heuristic and then, and then continue on the path. And that's all of this stuff about um, not just the technology of, of solar and wind and biomass and um, geothermal and hydro and all of the different first energy sources, but also about the architectures and methodologies that surround that. So, you know, the distributed energy architecture and the prosumer mindset, and then, and then all of the financing mechanisms and the economic mechanisms that have to exist to support those as well. So we've got like the actual like engineering hardware technology. We've got like well, there's a software piece in there around like controls. And then we've got this other, even more esoteric stuff around there about um, architecture and about economics and um, <laughs> all the rest of it. And all of that stuff is going back, is going back to, to through mystery, is going back in the at the best in the late stages of mystery and early stages of heuristic, and trying to fit into this grid that has been in the algorithm rut. And I say that with all due respect, right? Because like it's not necessarily a rut. It was highly reliable and efficient. It just was killing the earth. So, you know, <laughs> um, there was that. Um, and saying, let's revolutionize. Let, let's, let's have a revolution here, people. I mean, what a challenge. What bigger challenge is there than that? Um, humans are terrified of change. <laughs> and here we want to go ripping out one of like the foundations of the way we live our lives, at least here in the Western world, and like rip it out by the roots. So that's the challenge as I see it from my chair. And so what's the solution? The solution, let's just start off by saying, is not to do nothing, right? To sit back and say, well, increasing natural disasters, global warming, climate change, record high temperatures. I heard a, I heard a government weather report the other day. Um, that was, it was shocking about the record high temperatures, the fire danger, the record low water levels in the Western reservoirs. And it just caught me off guard. I mean, obviously I work in the industry and I 
climate change and um, sustainability is really important to me as a person, but it caught me off guard. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to hear it that day. And I, um, it, it was very emotional that we're so much further along than we think that we need, we need to do this. Um, so the solution can't be to do nothing. The solution has to be to go back to mystery, to be willing to disruptively innovate. And not to um, bring up the pandemic, which I didn't really want to, but to build back better, you know, to figure out how we can be supportive of communities. So it's a hard problem. But I believe in the power of innovation. And I believe that innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum. I believe that the most potent form of innovation is collaborative innovation, where you get multiple minds together, multiple minds to the whiteboard to solve problems together. And it's important that those minds don't all think alike. And that's what I was saying at the beginning of this podcast. And that's my, that's why the podcast, this podcast fits into that is because we need to have conversations with people who don't think like us. We should always want more conversations where people don't think like us. And I have been having so much fun learning from people who were raised in different cultural mindsets from my own that have different ways of approaching problems that I thought I was a holistic systems level thinker. I'm a system architect for crying out loud. But to then interact with people who, who culturally have been raised in a holistic thinking's, thinking mindset to think about problems in all and be able to hold problems in all their complexity. You know, I was taught as a engineering student that the simplest solution is usually the correct one, but there's power in being able to hold complexity and not be intimidated by it. And I think there's certain, some of that can be learned, but some of it is a cultural thing and talking to people with different approaches and just different brains who are wired to think differently, that only benefits the innovation. So none of us who are sitting out in our for-profit companies and are guarding our trade secrets with our life can ever solve the problem, at least not in its entirety, for sure. The only way we start to solve problems is to start to come together to collaborate, to have more conversations, to hear more voices, to hear more diverse voices, to hear voices that aren't like ours, and to bring those minds to the whiteboard. And the last thing I'll say here is that it's not just about having conversations. So it isn't just about this podcast. And I, I don't delude myself that this podcast is alone will change the world, although I'd love it to, of course. The conversa conversations are the starting place. But 
my great mentor in innovation theory, Greg Fraley, told me that the only way innovation happens is by doing projects. You can talk about the solution until you're blue in the face and it doesn't mean you're innovating or that you have innovated. In order to truly achieve innovation, we have to go out and do it. And so I'm interested in that too. And I mean, that's what I do in my work, right? Is that my work is focused on projects. Are the projects always perfect? No. (laughs) Do we always learn lessons along the way? Yes. Are we always continually improving? Yes. Because that's the nature of innovation and that's the nature of the mystery stage, which is where we're all at here. And so those are my twofold solutions. First, to be unafraid to bring different minds, different voices to the conversation. And that's where you're here. That's that's Powerflow Podcast. But then to take that diversity of thought and that diversity of expertise and do it. Do the projects. And I hope that this inspi- this podcast will inspire you to do that too. So, thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I look forward to seeing you, hearing from you. I look forward to your listenership as we launch, as we have these amazing conversations. And I look forward to hearing from you. And so with that said, I would love to invite you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. And if you would, I would love to direct you, not necessarily that you have to listen to it here, but to go over to the Apple Podcasts platform because they have a great review service of uh, for podcasts. And I'd love for you to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, if you agreed, um, if you listened to some of the other launch day episodes and you you have loved them too, please go over to Apple Podcasts, whether, whether that's your ultimate listening platform or not, and leave us a review and tell us how much you loved it and tell the world <laughs> that this is how we solve the problems. This is how, this is how we get to sustainability, resilience, equity, is by starting with a conversation and then turning the conversation into action. And I would love to hear from you as well. So um, if you've already done that, I would love to have you interact with us around social media. You can find us at uh, Powerflow Media almost anywhere um, on your favorite social media platform. And you can always check out our website at powerflowpodcast.com and um, look for contact information there. And we'll be happy to continue the conversation. Until next time, I'm your host, Amy Simpkins. I'll see you at the whiteboard. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the PowerFlow Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please share the episode with other innovators, leave us a positive review, and subscribe to PowerFlow on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find show notes for this episode, more great conversations, PowerFlow merchandise, and more at PowerFlowPodcast.com. PowerFlow is hosted by Amy Simpkins, produced by Devin Shanchek, and managed by Laura Novak. See you next time.
time here at the whiteboard.